I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today I'm going to talk to Marshall Mead, who along with his wife, Sean, leads the church in Orlando, Florida. Marshall talks about how he got to Orlando, his ministry career and missionary work in Lebanon, and the World Discipleship Summit he's organizing in the summer of 2022. He shares how God put a vision for the conference on his heart, the challenges of organizing, canceling, and replanning the conference during COVID, and finally, what makes this a can't-miss event for disciples everywhere. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today on my program, I've got Marshall Mead from Orlando, Florida. Marshall is a minister of the church there, as well as the organizer of the World Discipleship Summit that's taking place this summer in Orlando, Florida. It was scheduled for 2020, covid knock that out, rescheduled to 2022, and it's coming up within about six months. I'm going to talk to Marshall about the planning process, how it's impacted him as a leader, what he's learned, and what we can look forward to at the World Discipleship Summit. Marshall, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks, Rob. It's great to, to talk again. We knew each other when you were in Orange County, and it's, it's great to catch up uh, in a new setting. Absolutely. Yeah. It's good to see you. Can you tell me how you became a Christian? Sure. Um, Yeah. I grew up in Colorado and uh, in Fort Collins, and we grew up in the Disciples of Christ. Uh, It's often called First Christian Church. And so, you know, I had a foundation of faith, believing in Christ and believing in the Word of God. Uh, But, you know, as as I went to college, I went to Boulder, University of Colorado, and, you know, kind of all my school friends, that's where we all decided to go. So I think for me, I, I just pushed pause on God. Um, in, in a way, uh, you know, Revelation 3 says, be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. So in in my way of rationalizing just rebelliousness, I said, well, maybe God would rather me just be cold because I've, I've been kind of this lukewarm spiritual existence my whole life. And so I just kind of tried to turn that side of me off. And the day I set foot at University of Colorado, uh, someone from our church, our fellowship, a disciple of Jesus who was there early helping kids move into the dorms, shared their faith with me. And I remember saying, not yet, you know, so (laughs) I really avoided uh, their invitations to Bible talk. And it was across the hall from me. I mean, it could not have been closer. Mm. And uh, I avoided that all my freshman year and just kind of was your, 
you're kind of a typical pagan University of Colorado going to football games and, and seeing what else that the world had to offer. And so a whole year did not go. And then the next year came around and I moved into my dorm again. And sure enough, right next door to me, this time it was not across the hall. It was next door was the campus minister's Bible talk every Thursday night. And they started inviting me, you know, Jay Kelly, Mm -hmm. Uh, Jay was leading that Bible talk. And so I was their little project and, and I still did not go for a long time. What got me to go, uh, as Brian Craig likes to take credit for this, Brian Craig made a little flyer, and I didn't know Brian yet, but but on that flyer, it had a finger waving in my face, and it said, do not disappoint your mom, go to church before Thanksgiving break. That, <laughs> that was their theme. I mean, we are all about branding now and advertising and great (laughs) logos and great looks for our church. But I tell you what got me to come was a hand (laughs) waving at it it literally was the drawing of a hand with a finger wagging. Mm. And I started thinking about my mom and how, (laughs) how how happy she would be after kind of me being a bozo for a year and a half. She'd be like, Hey, he finally went to church. I came to church, studied the Bible, in a short amount of time in my sophomore year and became a Christian there at University of Colorado. Who were some of the people around you at that time? You mentioned Brian Craig and... Yeah, Brian and I became great friends and started playing music together. Um, And, you know, the the campus ministry was great. We had about 70 disciples there. Almost all of them lived in the dorms. Uh, Greg Moretzky, of course, was leading the church and really became a dad in the faith to me and was the reason why we ended up moving to the South region in Los Angeles. Um, Doug Wenz was there. My future wife, Sean Sorensen, was there in the campus ministry and came to University of Colorado. We led our first Bible talk. Well, my first Bible talk. Sean was was a leader of epic proportions, and I was just the young Christian that got to lead a Bible talk with her. But uh, we started dating, and we'd go on double dates with Brian and Dessa, and that just kind of cemented our friendship. So yeah, a lot of a lot of great folks there in the Denver Church. Wow. How'd you end up in Orlando? So yeah, fast forward. We we went to California. I, I ended up graduating from Long Beach State and then worked for about four years as a structural engineer. Got my uh, engineering license there and was doing work in California. Then went into the ministry with the Wadstroms in Long Beach. And as they went to the Middle East. Uh, we followed about a year later. So we went to Beirut, Lebanon, and served over in the Middle East for about a year and a half, 99 and 2000, as we were, as a movement, trying to plant a church in every country. So we went as a part of that plan. Came back in 2000 to Phoenix, worked with the Salippos for about uh, two and a half years in that church. And then, uh, you know, as a young minister, when, when, you know, the Henry Crete letter came out and we as a fellowship really began to evaluate our need and areas of of real repentance. Um, You know, I just felt like I could be a better facilitator of the church's growth and repentance if I was not in ministry. That's what I felt at the time, Rob. And I think as a young Christian and as a young person, I wanted to take big risks for God. I wanted to reach out. So, you know, moving to LA, moving to Beirut, 
uh, doing cra- the crazier the dare, I felt like I- I'm all in for that. And what that, in my mind, I step out, I, I do the crazy big thing, and then God comes through. That's how I feel like our relationship should work. But what that does is sometimes God comes through, but it's in the way of discipline and testing and training. And, and it's not the way um, I can predict he will move. And so that leads to, you know, when you're a risk taker, you also have to absorb disappointment. And I, I don't internalize disappointment very well. I, I justify I, I blame shift, I get discouraged, and then I, I revert back to then what is safe. And so what was safe for me in 2003 was to go back to engineering, mm-hmm. move back to Orange County, be a family group leader, um, just uh, you know do, be on the worship team. Those are all amazing things. And I actually think that a lot of people that do ministry don't do well at actually just being a Christian in a church. Right. And that's, that's a whole nother discussion, right. but I tried doing well, but I think when your created intent is to, um, you know, serve God in the ministry and that, that doesn't make you a better Christian. I, uh, it's just part of your created intent. Mm-hmm. So I avoided that for nine years, just did engineering. Um, well, uh, you know, my heart got really hard at that time and I was that cynical, guy that just sat in the back of church with others who'd been around for a long time, just kind of, um, you know, trying to do what was right, but also rolling our eyes and we know better. And, you know, that guy that's in your church, (laughs) I was he. And and so poor Kevin Maines, um, you know, he had to, to deal with me Mm. and, uh, and his love and patience are, are as you know, we're, we're out of this world. He is, he is otherworldly for sure. So we started feeling a tug to go back in ministry. And honestly, it was at the World Discipleship Summit in 2012. That's where for the first time I, you know, I went to the ILC just for one class. I, I wanted to go hear Maher Hin. Uh, do his class because we had been in the Middle East and we knew Maher and Summer very well. And as I sat in that class, and I I still can't watch it or think about the things he shared, and especially knowing that he's passed, um, it was so prophetic and it broke my heart to see where I was allowing myself to go in my own spiritual pity party. Mm. And so we started thinking about ministry again, but it's a risk just like everything else. It's such a dare. It's such a risk. And the thought of disappointment again, uh, was real, but either way, Kevin uh, Maines, Bruce Williams gave us a shot. We went into the ministry in orange County. That's where you and I started connecting a little more with working with, uh, I, Sean and I worked in the singles there. And then, then honestly, we started feeling a tug to do something more, you know, people from my generation were kind of the workhorse of right. building the church, but we weren't always entrusted with a church. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, um, because those positions were kind of filled and taken. And so there weren't many positions available or th- there may be more now, but Orlando was one. And I, I really began to 
see a vision for, for maybe going to Orlando. And, and Kevin and I even talked about that in our last time together, if you can believe it. That wow. was one of the discussions we had of possibly moving to Orlando. So um, as, as Kevin passed away in Orange County, it just was such a, such a bizarre time for us um, because we were already starting to feel the tug to maybe go do something different, to again, take a risk, put ourselves out there. But I knew nobody in Orlando. So there was no, there was no relational equity here. Nobody in a sense would have our back. Mm -hmm. Todd Asad was helpful in instrumenting, uh, and instrumental in helping us interview. And, and, and we just came out in March of 2017, about a month and a half after Kevin passed and interviewed and, and we were considered, they interviewed a lot of other great candidates too. And so I really had to surrender that this was God's will. And, and then we ended up here. So you wanted to lead your own situation. And I, I understand that it was the, the baby boomers of the, the movement that were in charge of most of the churches at the time. And then the generation X, those born mid sixties and beyond, they were uh, the drivers, the, the, the runners. Uh, that's, that's pretty interesting analysis. That was, that was my perspective as well. So uh, why did you want to host a world discipleship summit? It seems almost like you walked into a new job in Orlando and then boom, you're saddled with a new, new role as conference coordinator. Yeah. I mean, I think anybody that, that does that, um, they've got to have a bit of a screw loose, right? Um, and if you know Mike Tolliver, he's got a screw loose. I mean, he he loves it. Um, he enjoys it. He, he took a, a huge risk in the 2012 World Discipleship Summit. They had no idea what was going to happen. And, uh, and, and, and yet that's kind of what our fellowship is known for. That's what you know, the scriptures are known for. That's what Hebrews 11 is known for is, is people with a screw loose that, that just feel a call by God to do something that's completely above their qualifications. Um, Jeff Mantle did the same thing when they bid for uh, their, their, re their reach conference. And so I do find it very fulfilling to, um, to plan to, I'd, I'd rather be involved then go to it and be uninvolved. And, and again, I think there's part of our part of my brain that that feels that I can add value to it. Mm. Um, does that make sense? Like even that's how I feel about church. I can't just go to church. I have to try to add value. Do you to, think it's your church. engineering background that makes you think that way? I don't know. I really don't know where that comes from, but I, I'm restless just sitting there. Right. I feel better if I had something to do with it. <laughs> I feel exactly the same way. And so I think I just volunteered for the job because actually they were advertising and offering money for somebody to do it. And I said, well, I'm going to be here anyway. I'll just do it. That The money that you were going to give, just donate to the Orlando church as part of their um, reimbursement for all the time and effort that our staff is volunteering. So that's how that, that went is we're doing as a staff, 
none of us are paid by the conference. We are doing it on a volunteer basis. What's, what's the process for choosing a, a World Discipleship Summit site? I mean, how, what's, what goes on behind the curtain in terms of the decision-making process? I remember 2012, we had it in San Antonio, 2016, St. Louis. How did it land on Orlando, and, and who chose? Well, um, I mean, it, it started in San Antonio because Mike just said, we're going to, let's do this, you know, and I wasn't around, you know, in those meetings at that time, but that, but that's my understanding is, is they, they, they just stepped out and then it became something with where a a pattern of a world event every eight years followed by every four years, more of a regional large events, you know, uh, like a North America summit. And so, um, there has to be a, a, you know, your city has to be able to have a great convention district to be able to do that, right? And it has to have, you know, an international accessibility airport-wise. I would say of all the three cities, <laughs> Orlando probably fits that bill more than more than any of the others um, in terms of its desirability, accessibility uh, to come and to be there. And so... Um, that all goes into it as well. I will say that Orlando was chosen because they were the only church to submit a bid to host the 2020 conference. <laughs> so it wasn't like the IOC or the Olympic Committee where there's all these, uh, you know, churches and uh, bribes being given and, you know. Uh, th- there's nothing like that. We were the only ones to prepare a bit. And in fact, they started even before the REACH conference and built a team. We have uh, great event planners here in Los Angeles or <laughs> Los Angeles or Orlando. Um, the AV Matters, the team that has done the 2012 summit and the 2016 uh, REACH conference. Uh, Mike Evans, uh, a brother in our church, and, and Richard Rungi, um, who's you know known and has has served in, in ministry for many years. They own they they are the the company AV Matters, and they're great uh, you know event planners. So I think those guys sort of you know, and JP Tynes, and even Mike Block, who uh, has since moved, uh, they they sort of put all this together and teamed up with a uh, conference and event management company, Conference Direct, to put that bid together and negotiate the hotel contracts, uh, the Orange County Convention Center, et cetera. This is what the city of Orlando does. I'd be surprised if anybody in any corporate experience that has had a conference that's annual or semi-annual has not done Orlando. It's kind of like a Las Vegas, but it's it's just on the East Coast. Because of Disney, Disney World. There is, yeah. I mean, there's, there's such a draw here in addition to that's convention district through all of the amusement parks you've got you know SeaWorld, uh the universal studios and all the disney theme parks are all right here so the choice to host it was made prior to your taking over the orlando church so you inherited that decision or is that something you chose yourself no i it, it, a bit of both um if you remember, you know, for the Orange County Church, we would do our staff retreats usually around October and kind of plan our 
2016 calendars. You joined us a couple times for those. Right. One year it was up in Big Bear. And, uh, you know, I, I went out to pray out in the mountains, which that's my favorite spot. I don't know. It's Lord's justice that I'm out here in this. this <laughs> I think the highest point in Florida is like 400 feet above sea level. So there is no mountains for me to climb anymore. So God has not been talking to me nearly as much since I moved here. But I met God on the mountain, Big Bear, by myself to pray. And I really, it's kind of bizarre, but had a, a real vision of going to Orlando and prayed for the conference. And in that moment, I just knew vision had to be the name, the theme of the conference. In that prayer, whereas I should have been praying for Orange County and our future and the plans that we were about to make for 2017, I came back and told Dan Roditti, who, you know, we would just hang out in ministry. You got to have someone in ministry that you just hang out and get in trouble with. And, right. You know, that, that was Dan for me. So uh, I said, I don't know why. All I can think about right now is the Orlando church and this conference. I don't, I know they don't have a lead evangelist and I know no one has stepped up to direct this conference. I said, I think I could do both of those. <laughs> I think God just told me to go and do that. And, um, and that's kind of where it started. And, and that got me talking to Todd Assad, who was consulting with the church at the time. I, I didn't know where to go with that. Um, you know, it took me a while to have the courage to talk to Kevin about it. But uh, it, it uh, and honestly, I even put it on pause for a couple months and they interviewed some great candidates uh, for the church here. So I, I was hoping, Rob, in some ways that it, that decision would be made for me and I'd be relieved of both of those duties. And yet, um, it it kind of was a merging of God's vision and and a and a pursuing of it that ended up here. So before so. you'd even interviewed, yeah, bef- when you were living in Los Angeles, you had a, a vision or an experience that intuition, whatever you might want to call it, that you want to go to Orlando and lead that the conference. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, it's silly, really. I'm and. I don't know what it is. It just, it's like Joseph. When you start saying it out loud, it starts sounding weird. You know what I mean? Like Joseph had these visions from God, but as he shared them with people, it sounded super annoying to them. Right, right. (laughs) So that's why I just kind of pushed pause. And then it just, it, it, it was fulfilled. That's, that's very interesting because let's just take a little tangent here. Have you ever had any other experience like that where you felt God directing you very tangibly or explicitly in a, in a particular direction like that? So I have. So Sean and I were on a uh, about a four-year journey through infertility, um, and that's a very lonely journey to be on. It's very hard. It's, it's, uh, it's every month there's a reminder built into the women's cycle that mm. that that God did not answer your prayers. So very hard. And so we began to, you know, consult doctors and and try some. And so in May of 1999, I I guess where I, you know, I went up to the mountains, I went up to the Azusa (laughs) mountains this time and, and prayed and was reading the Psalms and Psalm 128 says, you know, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And it talks about, uh, his wife will be a fruitful vine within his house. 
his sons will sit around his table. And, uh, you know, I thought, I fear God. And I just, I wrote a song in that, you know, you and I are both guitar players. So I wrote a little song as I was sitting by the river there in the mountains, uh, the first verse to our daughter and the second verse to our son. Wow. And I said, this is the year we're going to be pregnant by the end of 1999. I came back and told Sean, I said, I just, I felt like God spoke to me through the Psalms, a promise that those who fear him will be fruitful. And we have not been fruitful. It's going to happen. This is the year. And, and we're going to have a daughter and then we're going to have a son. And the song was written, all that was done. And Sean and I even climbed Mount Whitney about two months later to say that same prayer in August of 99. By, uh, two mo- by one month later, unbeknownst to us, the Wadstroms invited us. We ended up moving to Beirut, Lebanon. And a disciple in the church worked in the gynecology wing doing his residency. We went through a fertility specialist there in Lebanon, uh, we were so poor at that time. We were 29, 30 years old, had no money. I'd left my engineering career. We were in the ministry and couldn't afford IVF in the United States. It's very expensive. We went through the process there for about $1,000. It was an amazing process it's the, at the American University of Beirut Hospital. And we found out the final week of December, 1999, that we were pregnant. Oh, my gosh. And I knew it was going to be a girl. There was no doubt about that that was going to be a girl. And Katie was born. And then sure enough, um, through another failed IVF, a miscarriage, another challenging four or five-year process after that, we became pregnant. And I knew that was going to be a boy. And what's amazing about God is I missed something from that promise because it said your sons will sit around your table. Mm -hmm. So I thought God answered my prayer. That was the end of our testimony. Three years later, um, you know, because again, with infertility, you don't try to stop pregnancy. (laughs) You just sort of pull the goalie and (laughs) you're always available. (laughs) So uh, we found out we were pregnant again and we had Justin. So in a seven year span from eight year span from no children to three children uh, was, was really a miracle, but I felt like God in that moment shared that with me very specifically. Uh, So I don't, it doesn't happen all the time. I I say there's like six, seven, eight year gaps. Mm -hmm. Uh, I see that with Abraham too. It's not like every day Abraham and God decided to, you know, do these great things, but God visited Abraham from time to time and pulled the curtain back. And I think he does the same. That is a very touching story. Thank you for sharing that. I'm glad we stumbled onto that. Mm. Let's go back and talk a little bit about this conference. How did you feel when you had to cancel the 2020 world discipleship summit? You, you'd had a vision about it. You came up with the title vision all of a sudden COVID comes along. Yeah. So a lot of this, you know, I, I've talked to you about taking big risks and then dealing with disappointment. You know, when, when Sean and I did our pregnancy, t- uh, you know, that first IVF in 99, we came back home and we were surrounded by all our friends. We told everybody about what God was doing in our life. Our first pregnancy test came back negative and it was such a blow. 
and I just felt so numb. It, it just didn't seem like it was in God's character to, to do all this, you know, to give us this revelation just to say, yeah, psych, you know, grow in your patience and your, you know what I mean? Like right. that, like really God. And so a, a week later we did find out we were pregnant. So it was, I, that was part of that test of faith. So early on with COVID, I, I sort of felt the same way. Okay, God, it's not in your nature to do all of this and then pull the rug out. So I'm going to believe in you. You're going to do something amazing. When we're at the conference, it's going to be so clear to everybody that God just just is the holds disease, the germ in his hand and, right. and wiped it out. And we had this guy, like God did God stuff. I kept waiting for God stuff to happen. And when it didn't, I shut down. Mm -hmm. I went to uh, that place of just, just disappointment, just disappointment. I'm, I stopped praying. I stopped praying for the pandemic. I stopped, I began to just feel numb uh, to the news cycle. And then at the same moment, we're dealing with kind of the racial upheaval, the political right. upheaval. And so I, I just was um, very, I, I sort of woke up every day feeling numb and feeling super anxious too. Um, because I think if God doesn't do what I want him to do, um, I feel like I did everything I could do and he's not coming through. Right. And he's going to do what he's going to do anyway. What difference does prayer make? Mm. That's where I was at. I was sort of at a place of dark cynicism. And I think the engineering mind goes there. It's very linear. It's, <laughs> it's cause and effect. I did my part. He's going to destroy it. And it's, so I don't know. It just was a time of real, uh, disappointment. I, it just, I just didn't pray. I just processed it. I was like, what, what's the use? And so uh, I, I think there was a lot of, yeah, numbness mm. to it. Have you ever tried to figure out how many man hours were invested in that conference? I didn't. I, mean, it's just I don't think I ever could, could imagine. Oh gosh. I just, because it's not just us, you know, there right. are service teams, the ILC, the, the, the campus, the t singles, the youth and family, everybody's the, the miss would be to think that Marshall is the guy with the most at stake. So many people are part of this. And that's what I've had to learn. There's so many competent, amazing people in our fellowship that are all planning this together. I really am the guy that's in charge of getting the chairs set up, the, the lights and cameras and microphones turned on. I see. And that's, that's our job. We are the logistical host church. Now the logistics are <laughs> crazy. And I think I get to be a relational go between for people. You know, we've right. got our professional event planners that I let do a lot of the lion's share of the work. Um, but they don't know our culture and our family of churches and, and right. they don't always know who they're talking to on the other end of the line. And I'm right. always saying, yeah, that, that's a, that's a legit, that's a great request. No, they need a room. That's my job. Right. You know, right. but, uh, I have no idea how much time yeah. has been spent. How do you, how do you do the ministry and organize a massive conference like this? I mean, how do you not end up in the third soil where you're just getting choked out? Well, part of it is 
my relationship with Jeff Mannell, Mike Tolliver, and all the front end work that I did in talking with those guys. Behind those guys are, you know what I mean? The they've got people like, you know what I mean? In, in San in St. Louis, it was like a Kathy Rosario and, and, and the people like that, that, that really are your external hard drive. I I'm more of a Chromebook, meaning I don't <laughs> store much. I, I don't store much when I'm on, I work fine. Uh, but I don't store much or remember much, you know? And so uh, I need external hard drives of, of data and information <laughs> to get, that get a lot of stuff done. And so uh, I, I think, but we've paid for that too, right? Conference Direct, our event planner, Christy Norcross, our negotiator and, and hotel liaison, Charles Bellow, that works with all the venues. I mean, these guys do the work. They are being paid. Our housing team from Conference Direct, they are being paid. Custom Reg, our registration company, uh, who we, we found out about them through a disciple and a programmer in Dallas who reached out to me, said, do you need a reg company? And I said, no, we've got one. But then we started entertaining other bids. And it turns out these guys have done a great job for mm. us. Now they've gotten more than they could bargain for too. Right. So we continue to extend those contracts for two more years. So the, the only reason I can still do ministry is because most of the other pieces of this puzzle rather than kind of that old volunteer, just serve, bro, you're, you're doing a great job, bro, pat on the back, bro. Right. That that works for communion trays right. and other things like that. These conferences now, in my opinion, are at such a scale that it's beyond the volunteer efforts of good-hearted disciples. Let's mm. kind of put that in the hand of professional event planners. Got it. The downside to that is you, you, we pay them. Right. They're worth it. And they've kept me, you know, sane. And, and I think they've done a great job. Mm. For a person who's very hands-on, that can be pretty challenging. Yeah. Uh, for a person yeah. who, I, I know for myself, that would be really tough to be just delegating everything and not want to be personally involved in every little detail. And I do that. I, I probably am... Do- like they ward me off of stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, even like a Hans Rasmussen from Denver. Uh, Hans takes on a lot of support tickets and, you know, and, and programs all the little bots, auto responses. And, you know, so, I mean, he does a lot as well. So these guys run interference or I would do all that. I definitely fall into that hero category, mm-hmm. uh, you know, group projects as a kid i hate it high school <laughs> junior high remember group projects oh yeah they're the worst right. um because you know inevitably you end up doing the work right um and so i am cut out of that fabric which we tend to praise those people but they also have a lot of self-destructive uh characteristics which i also have and you end up robbing people of the, the buy-in when they are part of the planning process. So I've had to truly repent in just my own model of leadership. And I will say that in the addition to the church in Orlando, like we have hired some amazing staff and even the ones that we've retained here in Orlando and the eldership group, they're all so qualified. So, you know, it's, it's cliche, but finding the right seat on the bus has really been key. 
there's so much less required of Marshall, I would say, in the Orlando church than when we first got here four and a half years ago, because we have a great staff, great eldership group, an amazing board of directors. Um, We have such qualified people that it would be silly for me to be doing all of the work. Micromanaging. Yes. These conferences go back to a a great, just have so many great memories, especially for those converted in eighties, nineties, the Boston World Mission Seminars, <clears throat> conferences like when I was in Asia. I mean, there's just some, it's a great, great tradition. It was so exciting when it got rebooted in 2012 to have a kingdom-wide conference. I know I love these things, and I know many people look forward to them, and, and it just stirs up a lot of history. Can you give an over, overview of what this year's conference is going to offer people? Yeah. Yeah. And and I do think you're right in that there is a large segment that just know when they show up, magic happens. That's right. Um, There's also people like myself who, believe it or not, I I would rather be left alone to just do a bunch of work on my computer (laughs) than to interact (laughs) with human beings. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like to, to actually have to do like Jesus style, loving people ministry. Mm. That is, that is my highest calling. Um, And so there are also a lot of people that come at these with trepidation or cynicism, like been there, done that, heard this before, nothing news. I tend to go into every conference with that mentality. Mm. And I'm always broken by God. Like Mm. God's always got something for me. I'm right where God wants me when I walk into the room, pessimistic, cynical, who's this speaker? Where is he from? Every fiber in my being wants to dismiss it all. You know what I mean? Like I really, some people like, and you know, Kevin Maines. Yes. Kevin is like so righteous and he would rarely sort of, um, venture from within a one to two degree margin of error of Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) I am not built that way. I start so far from where I know I need to get, and I almost revel in how far away I am. It's not good. It's based on pride and cynicism and pessimism, but I think it's also my desire for safety and not wanting to be disappointed. So the closer I get to Christ, the more broken I get, the more emotional I get, the more I cry, the more I ashamed I get at how far away I was. So for people like me, I would also encourage them to just go to this event by faith, knowing that God is going to get you. Right. That's right. <laughs> he's going to he's going to break you at this mm. conference whereas some people just come ready to fellowship from the get-go. Right. You know. But others are like me. So I think what's going to happen as always is we are our best version of ourselves as Christians when we are together and when we see the kingdom of God firsthand. Yes. Some people are always into who's going to speak and where's this and what program and I'm a single of this age and I know they're not going to address that or, or there's a lot of people that just feel like it's the content or the speaker or right. this topic. I would say I go to conferences and it's rare that I'm 
I have the attention span to actually go to every class, every program, every fill my plate full. I'm typically finding Gary and Chris Simmons or <laughs> somebody I haven't seen in a while. And we're just playing hooky, catching up, crying, praying, getting time together. Right. So I think that I, I tend to not worry so much about what is going to be offered because when we're there, just something happens. Um, and I think we are our best version of ourselves when we're together mm. instead of on our keyboards. And that has been the challenge is to absorb what the church looks like on Facebook and right. online and, and the debates and the challenges and the, the, I don't agree with you and the 36, you know, thread argument that we're watching develop online. That's not, that's not who we are. Mm -hmm. If those two people were together, that would be a half hour to an hour discussion where they would really learn right. from one another. Exactly. So uh, that's what I would say is, you know, the world has changed so much. And Rob, what if we had had this conference and then all this stuff happened? It, it would all be out of date. I would just start deleting all the speeches and <laughs> classes because it would have been like, that's no longer relevant. We're, our world has changed so much. So I think God in his wisdom is positioned this conference for us to grasp his vision for how we move forward as a cooperative fellowship of churches. I'm fiercely loyal. I, I still think our fellowship is very special. To, to have a degree of cooperation, however autonomous or cooperative we are, it, it varies from church to church. But for 800 churches to agree in, in some very large philosophical and doctrinal and even practical ways of working together and supporting foreign missions and making disciples and, and baptizing and, and seeking first the kingdom, I think that's very, very special. Right. So I, I do think we've got something for everybody, whether you're going to the middle school or teen track, um, whether you are a young family with no kids or whether you're, you're in your parenting phase of life or single or in college uh, or, you know, even kids three through tw 10, we've normally not offered much other than a few bounce houses for those kids, but we're bringing a full vacation Bible school ministry called uh, the giant cow. These are guys that just started kind of doing more than babysitting kids at these big Christian family conferences. And so they decided this is a need. We'll just offer ourselves uh, for, I mean, it's like five bucks an hour or a session, you know what I mean? So maybe for 50 bucks for three days, you're going to get your kids three through 10 will be able to go to this thing and and learn Bible stuff, sing songs, VBS style. It's not for the older kids, though the older kids can actually volunteer to serve at it. Um, and then even just the Forever Faithful Conference. I really have, you know, we started seeing that there is life beyond being a parent and raising your kids. There's actually a whole nother 30 or 40 year chapter of your life by which you can make a huge impact in the kingdom of God. And right. so the forever faithful track really are for disciples that, that want to continue to offer their influence during this, what should be a season of, of, of wisdom and influence right. in the fall and winter of their life. And then obviously to, to die faithful 
And so those are just different topics. Those, those are caring for aging parents. Those are health and wellness and, and those kinds of issues uh, that I think will be also be part of this conference. And then the ILC, the leadership conference, uh, this will be the first time in, in a long, long time for the international group of leaders to all be together in one place for some spiritual development and, and to, to cast the vision for where our fellowship is going. And it's positioned to not be in conflict with so many other conferences. It's open to anybody. Anybody can come to the ILC. If you're single, married, adult, retired, it does not matter. You can come and register. Just come to the ILC and see what the leadership of our church uh, is is wrestling with as we try to move our fellowship forward. I I heard that there won't be a general dis, a general session of all the disciples. If that's the case, why is that? So, as as a lot of conferences were canceling here in Orlando, um, space began to fill up like crazy in 2021 and 2022. And then some of our original calls with our, uh, you know, regional family chairman that, that oversee clusters of churches around the world. Some people on that call were saying, you know, Marshall, I know you want to just get it over with and do it next year. They said, we're, we're hearing COVID might be around longer. And I, in my mind, I thought those are the crazy people, you know, right. those are people down the rabbit hole of the exactly. algorithms of the internet that, that are, you know, and I, they were right. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. Uh, they were right. Um, and so, you know, who would have thought, so we were trying to find a place that we could just do exactly the same, but all those places were taken up. So we really had to spread it out. We could not get that same number of people all in one room at that same time. And I think also with COVID, it's probably better to spread ourselves out. I mean, it's still going to be a large crowd, um, but to not have everybody shoulder to shoulder in one room, maybe again, in God and his wisdom is spreading this thing out. So it's kind of a Sunday to Sunday with two distinct waves of programming. Okay. There's only one time that we could be together and that's Wednesday night. And so we're, we're entertaining like a huge worship night for anybody who wants to kind of stay after their first wave or come early, which they probably should anyway, if their conference starts on Thursday morning, they should get there Wednesday and get acclimated or before. Um, and so we're thinking about some type of extravaganza on that Wednesday night for anybody who'd like to join us. Okay. So can you go through this, the, the dates and the various programs, the, the different groups and when they're meeting, just so it's, it would be clear in my mind, okay, what, what, what's being offered here and who's being, um, addressed. So July 31st, it's later than the first, than it was in 2020. That works great for some people. It doesn't for others. I know that uh, some schools start early football. Band, I mean, my own son is going to be in marching band camp starting that week. So we're going to have to try to figure that out. Um, it, maybe it's a good old fashioned seek the kingdom first, but I, right. I will let every family <laughs> make those decisions. Uh, I get it. I understand. Um, July 31st, Sunday night, evening. So Sunday could even be a travel day and you could 
we're going to push that back to like seven o'clock at night, the singles, the college students, the campus ministry, and the ILC, the leadership conference start together on that night with a Sunday worship service. Then Monday and Tuesday, they're all going to be doing their separate tracks with social events, fun events, dances, worship nights of their own. Um, but the singles, the, the college students and the leadership program, and those will all be separate. Um, and, uh, and then Wednesday morning, the ILC close out, closes out Wednesday morning, the campus and singles will kind of be together in what we've dubbed the stronger conference, which deals with specialized issues of Christian development, like, um, addiction, recovery, mental health, uh, purity, same-sex attraction, uh, race, social justice, all those kind of topics, the hot, that's kind of hot topic day. Um, But they're not even hot topics anymore. They're, they're normalized parts of our lexicon, even in our Christianity. And if it's not, then we're, we've been hiding under a rock. So Wednesday, the campus and singles will experience where it's not a life stage anymore. That, that hits us all. Mental illness has no life stage mental health, you know, so, um, those will be those topics Wednesday by lunch. It's all done. Um, and then maybe a worship night on Wednesday night, but then Thursday we'll start the family conference, which is, you know, all married parents, single parents. I would encourage to go to that as well. Cause I, I think for a single parent, um, as Sean and I worked in the singles for years and years, I do feel that parenting is your number one responsibility and um, your singlehood is less important than your role, God-given role as a parent. However, if you're a single adult with the same adult registration, you could go to the ISC and and have your child in this uh, giant cow. Um, so you could come to that and then just stay. I, you know, I, it, the hotel bill is going to add up, but <laughs> do whatever you can. <laughs> you're you're welcome to stay. Even the college students that want to stay for the youth and family conference, if they want to serve in the giant cow, or uh, we're offering uh, at the family conference an inclusion area for families that do have children or adults with really special needs and maybe sensitivities. It, you know, for some of us, getting in a room with twenty thousand people and hearing the worship band and lights and lasers is super attractive. If you're a family who has a child with auditory or, you know, some stimulation issues, that is, you just rule out going to these conferences because you're going to sit there and get nothing out of it. And so we have uh, one-to-one people who are willing to create a safe, you know, environment if your child would just do better sitting on a couch with an iPad and, and just spending some time with some tactile or low light, low sound environments. We're trying to create a place where that parent who probably very rarely feels thought about or that their spiritual needs are being met. We want that parent to be able to come and that will be offered for free. They, they, they can take advantage of that as much uh, as they would like to. So Thursday through Sunday is the Forever Faithful, the Family Conference, and the Spanish Conference, as well as the Deaf Conference, the Heart of Hearing Conference. And and I don't know um, about deaf that that it's we never know who's going to show up for that. That you know I I know there's a, a a worldwide ministry trying to 
kind of connect disciples who are deaf. And so they will have the availability for programming classes if they would like, um, or they can, uh, you know, ask for interpreters for some of them. Obviously the main sessions will all have those. And then uh, we will have a volunteer basis to attend classes. So that includes a middle school and high school track as well. And uh, families, and then forever faithful, as I described, are just disciples who are in the next phase of their life and want to do great things for God. Wow. Okay. How, how many people are you anticipating to come to this? Like what, do you have any idea with COVID? How many people? I don't know. I don't know. Um, You know, right now there's about 14,000 registered. Oh, that's awesome. And I, I think if we split that 50, 50, that's seven and seven. Mm -hmm. And that's with nobody showing up, nobody registering from here to then. So I I have a feeling that that it will start picking up, but I also have a feeling people who haven't canceled are still undecided. Mm -hmm. So I just don't know if all that will balance itself out. I do know that we are uh, because of this two years and because of money lost in 2020, we have a gigantic financial delta to dig out of. I would love it if three to 4,000 more registered. I think that would be our break even. And if that were the case, maybe eight or 9,000 each week would be a great number. Right. Right. And I mean, how, oh my gosh, I, I can't even imagine the pressure, the financial pressure you must feel, but it can't fall on your church only. You've got to have money coming in from outside that's, that's helping you out here. You would think that. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so only the Orlando Church is on the hook as the host church. So is that the way it will all go down if this does not, if we're not whole? I doubt it. I, I really believe that our fellowship, you know, I mean, let's put it this way. Every leader I and disciple I meet that knows who I am and who are true, they're all praying for me. <laughs> so <laughs> I hope I don't have to leverage their sympathy right. after the conference right. For, right. for some financial bailout. I would just like us to be good stewards of this conference and break even yeah. and, and pay our bills, pay our vendors. And then others have come on board as sponsors and that we have not really done that as a fellowship much. Um, but I've proposed that to many people who probably would sort of get the red carpet treatment at a conference. Anyway, Mm. I've said, Hey, why don't you actually do some things that help out the conference Buy all the lanyards and we will market you. And so, you know, Frank Berry, who does Tithely there in San Diego and has built a a great business, an entrepreneur, he is coming on board and was in 2020 as a sponsor. So you may see the name Tithely on your lanyard with the vision logo. And the idea is I, I want him and what he's doing to have exposure and he's helping us mm-hmm. um, hope worldwide. I've asked them to not just come and do their normal offering, but could they help put something into this as a sponsor? And they have been amazing to work mm-hmm. with. Um, and so the Solomon foundation is a, is a church 
uh, facilities lender and partner. Like if you want to buy a building or expand your church or get property or do a tenant improvement and get a long-term lease, they are your lending partner. They're a restoration movement uh, lender. And so they are coming on board and, and obviously desire to work with our church that has been a bit of a gypsy church renting places for years and years. And I think many of our churches really want more permanence and want to get a facility and be a part of a community within their city. Solomon Foundation is coming on board to sponsor. And give. So again, I think, you know, uh, especially the family as well. Um, Doug is coming down, Doug Arthur's coming down here to talk about the beam fund and the beam fund. So normally we would just sort of give everybody the bro discount, you know, and, <laughs> <laughs> but these people feel our pain and are coming on board to help us financially, which has been awesome. That's awesome. So for those who are kind of wavering, they're on the fence, they'd like to come, they're worried about COVID, whatever, whatever else is going through my, through their mind. Why, why is this conference a can't miss event? Why does, why does a person need to go ahead and pull the, pull the trigger, register, get booked and go to this conference? Yeah. I mean, I, I can answer that. I will be able to answer that question. They will be able to answer that question on their way home. Mm-hmm. I guarantee that. Sean and I had already ruled out the 2012 conference. We were going through financial peace with Dave Ramsey for the fourth time. We were trying to get out of debt. We were, um, uh, you know, there was so much going on in our life. We couldn't afford to bring our kids. That we were just, we were not going. We'd already made the decision to 2012. Brian Craig, because of our friendship said, well, you know, I, if I could help you, um, you know, with some of the budget of our worship team and, and you can play guitar and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, that's those friendships in the kingdom are so invaluable. So Brian, the same guy that wagged his finger at me and got me to church for the first time through a flyer, wagged his finger and said, you're coming to this conference. And, and my life, the trajectory of my life was changed really by that event. So I didn't, I didn't expect that. Uh, but it's it's what ended up happening. Mm. And so I don't know why this will be a can't miss for each individual person. I just know God has God honors when our treasure is in his kingdom. Mm. And we make sacrifices for everything else, right? We make sacrifices for streaming, for vacations, for and so why not a kingdom sacrifice? Why not sacrifice time, energy, money, our vacation, Hawaii, whatever else it is? And and really, is Orlando that, you know, is it that big of a reach, you know what I mean, to come to Orlando to do a day or two at Disney or the, a park or to go out to Clearwater or to book a cruise and go right out of Canaveral afterwards? make an investment and just see what God does. Mm. I think our fellowship needs a vision again of who we are as a church family and what makes us um, special. Mm. That's awesome. What, okay, Marshall, through looking back on this whole thing, I I know there's many things you must have, have learned or have grown through, but what have you learned through this whole process? Um, I think that 
God is good, mm. you know? And I, I quickly jump to that he's not good. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just go there too quickly. Like, I just go there to see, I knew, yeah, yeah, this is just like him, you know, to not. Um, and I don't know why I do that, because he's proven over the years that he's good. And so, and I think that, you know, after Sean and I had Katie, that song, God is Good, you know, we, we were singing it once in Orange County, and I couldn't get the words out. And I can barely get them out now because part of it is I'm ashamed that I don't believe after 30 years that God is good. And uh, why, why wouldn't I believe that? But he has to convince me over and over again that he's good. So I think what I've learned is God is good, you know, despite the pandemic, despite the stress, despite my own battle now with anxiety, which I didn't, I didn't really know that I had this brought it out in me, but that's also just my own, um, brokenness of, of desire for control. And, and when God doesn't do what I want to do, um, I assume I'm good and he's, he's the one stopping what I wish, what I've already, I've done the hard work, God, I've done the hard work, the planning, just can you please just come through on your end? Mm. And then, then I go to just places that I shouldn't and they're sinful places, um, doubting his goodness. So I think there's so many other lessons about just my desire for control and other things like that. But I think the overarching lesson is that God is good. Mm -hmm. Marshall, thank you so much for the time today. And I just want to say thank you for all your work on behalf of the kingdom. It's, it's generous, it's kind, and it's sacrificial. And I'm praying every blessing. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. And anything I can do to help support you, I definitely want to. And if you're listening today, I look forward to seeing you in Orlando. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining the Rob Skinner Podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.